This is Around the A, a weekly look at the top stories, news, and interviews from the NHL's top developmental league with your hosts, David Foote and Patrick Williams on the Sports Podcasting Network. It is uh, Around the A. We are back after a couple of weeks off. Uh, David Foote and Patrick Williams uh, with you again uh, to discuss uh, some of the uh, latest uh, news notes, highlights from around the American Hockey League. Uh, Thanks for bearing with us over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Pat was dealing with some stuff at home, and um, anyone throughout the hockey world will tell you that family is the most important thing. Uh, So we appreciate you tuning back in with us uh, wherever you're listening, uh, on the Sports Podcasting Network, uh, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, uh, wherever it is. Uh, Glad to have you along. Uh, Nice to have you back, Pat. It seemed like a long couple of weeks. Yeah, nice to be back. Uh, you know, uh, you know, AHL schedule is fortunate in the sense that uh, first month or so of the season, the schedule is a little bit lighter than usual. Like you, you'll, you'll you'll pay the price for that later on in the year when there's you know uh, 15 games in 25 nights or something. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was a little weird to be uh, you know out of the loop for for a bit there and uh, uh, not uh, traveling. That was really strange. But uh, you know, you do what you got to do. So. Yeah. It's been done, and uh, now we can get back at it. Well, uh, let's get back at it. Let's look at some of the uh, big storylines over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Most teams are now uh, between 7 and 10 or so games into the schedule. Uh, Let's talk about uh, the one undefeated team still remaining to this point in the Utica Comets, a team that missed the playoffs last season, and I... I personally, at least, and I'm not sure how many followers of the league would agree, didn't expect them to be one of the teams that was undefeated this far in. Uh, three games in, sure, maybe. Five games in, yeah, potentially. But seven games in, that's a pretty good achievement for any club. Yeah, uh, well, you know, a few things help. It helps when you have Reed Boucher in there, uh, nine goals in his first seven games. I mean, you know, we've always known him to be a sniper in this league. I mean, he's... He's a guy you can count on over a full year, uh, 25, 30 goals, pretty much uh, guaranteed. But, uh, you know, more than one goal per game is uh, is a little bit uh, ridiculous. Uh, and uh, they also got some help uh, from the Vancouver Canucks uh, at the start of the year. Uh, Nikolai Goldobin came down, Sven Berchi came down. Uh, so they uh, they were kind of loaded uh, right from the get-go, and, and uh, they've hit the ground running, uh, which isn't always easy to do in this league, especially uh, – and I think even more so when you have NHL veterans that are sent down and are uh, trying to sort sort out uh, some of their own, uh, you know, uh, personal uh, career issues, uh, you know, and dealing with uh, that kind of uh, hit to the ego. Uh, so, uh, but they've been able to jump right into the flow here and uh, hit the ground running. And maybe I think, especially early in the year, catch some teams, uh, you know, uh, before they're ready. But they're averaging over five goals per game, which is you know, like something straight out of like uh, the 1980s Oilers. So it's yeah. uh, it's a little bit uh, a little bit wild start to the year, but uh, you know they're uh, keeping it interesting for sure. Yeah, and uh, goaltending wise, uh, it's a pretty good trio that they've got there. Uh, Zane McIntyre and Richard Bachman are a, you know a little bit older guys, and then uh, Mikey DiPietro is obviously uh, the future in that. I saw along with Thatcher Demko, who's up in Vancouver. Um, so you combine the you know five plus goals a game and 
three pretty solid guys in the net, and it makes it uh, pretty easy or at least easier to get out to that 7-0 and start. Um, you also recently did an article for AHL.com, uh, your notebook, talking about some uh, underrated guys or guys who are perhaps flying under the radar, and um, one of those guys helping out in uh, Utica as well. Yeah, they, uh, you know, every year it seems that you have a couple of these guys that uh, they go undrafted, they uh, slip through the draft uh, for three three years, you know, from 18 to age 20 years. Uh, and it's usually the college kids. Uh, and uh, they're, uh, Utica has two of them, uh, Brogan Rafferty uh, and uh, uh, Josh uh, Tate. So um, the two of them have just come in and, uh, you know, I mean, I saw them uh, last week and uh, they just looked really solid. I mean, I think that's the first thing you always want to look for from a defenseman, especially at this level, uh, is that composure on the ice and uh, they're showing it uh, I was really, uh, really pretty impressed by how, uh, how polished they looked already. I mean, uh, they're coming in from the college game, which a lot of players will tell you is a lot different uh, game uh, from the American league uh, in a lot of ways, not the least of which is the schedule and uh, just, you know, the overall, uh, you know, style of play sometimes. So uh, they've been able to come in and uh, they're uh, Rafferty, especially has four points in seven games, uh, you know, as, as a pro, um, Vancouver signed them both uh, at the end of last season and gave them two-year extensions this summer. Uh, I like what they saw at the end of the year in Vancouver and then, you know, at uh, summer camp and everything with the offseason. So, uh, yeah, just uh, some real nice uh, uh, guys that, you know, you find a little bit later, uh, you know, a little bit more polished come out of the college game and now they're able to step in. They're not 20 years old. They're 23, 24, and that, that's a huge difference, I think, especially for defensemen. But, uh, you know, you have Ole Levy, uh, you know, who was uh, a couple years back, fifth overall pick. He had a bad knee injury last year, so he's uh, working his way back into the flow. But, uh, you know, slowly but surely, you know, Vancouver's had some issues over uh, the past couple of seasons, but um, they're, uh, they're building a nice little uh, collection of prospects down there uh, in Utica. And I think the biggest thing for that team this year will – just uh, be avoid uh, some of the uh, dysfunction that that hit that team last year. A couple prospects uh, um, left the team or were traded, so it, it just things got off track there. They had injuries, they had goaltending issues, uh, never quite uh, found the, their stride last season. So um, to hit the ground running, to bank these points now, get some confidence under everybody's belt uh, before the first month of, uh, of the season is over, I think is. Big step forward for everybody there, and uh, that 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 franchise needs uh, some good news. Uh, they haven't had the easiest time the last few years, so uh, and, you know, and a lot of that starts in the American League. Uh, you start developing guys, start getting them confidence at the American League. The idea is eventually uh, they can translate that up to uh, the NHL. So so far, so good for that team, and uh, they're off to a great start. And and great news for uh, one of the AHL's strongest fan bases as well in Utica. Uh, one of the handful of buildings that I've uh, had the uh, the pleasure of being able to call a game in, and uh, it, it, you know, of the few that I've worked in so far, it certainly has one of the best atmospheres around. Yeah, it's a throw, it's a real throwback building. I mean, they did some uh, renos the last couple seasons. Uh, you know, added some of the modern day touches, but uh, the uh, the old school feeling is still very much uh, a part of that building. Uh, fans are kind of right on top of the ice. Uh, it's uh, it's a small, intimate building, sort of almost like a you know a uh, slim down Madison Square Garden with that roof. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's unique, and, and uh, you know it was uh, it was a market that had been out of the uh, 
AHL for 20 years when they brought the team back in 2013. And uh, it was a little bit of a question mark. How's this market going to take to the American League after all these years? And, uh, you know, it's a smaller market. Obviously, it's not a very, uh, you know, you don't have a huge pool of fans to draw from in the first place. But uh, they've come in. uh, The front office has done a great job uh, getting that team uh, to connect with the city. uh, And it's it's probably really the the biggest reason that uh, Vancouver stayed there. you know, despite the geographical distances, just they love the fan support there. They love the uh, the atmosphere that those guys get to play. I mean, they get kind of almost a, a scaled down NHL environment there every night. Uh, you know, full house and uh, you know loud fans. And yeah, I think if you if you know Utica fans at all, they're kind of a they're kind of a rowdy, uh, you know, loud, a little bit rambunctious uh, crowd. So uh, you know, it's a little bit of a throwback in that way as well. So uh, between the uh, between the actual building and then the fan base, uh, you know, you feel like you step back in time there. So it's uh, it's a real fun market for the league. And it's been a huge success uh, the past six years. Uh, I equate the atmosphere at a Utica Comets game to that of a WWE wrestling show. <laughs> uh, the fan, the fans are just in it. They're heckling uh, opposing players, and uh, it makes such a difference uh, when you can have an atmosphere like that. I think, um, it, yeah, and and tr- the travel aside, like you mentioned, it's kind of. Maybe we'll get into that in another episode of the program. Uh, uh, some of the tougher travel trips that some of these teams have to do, but uh, it is one. You know, one. Some may see it as a little thing. I see it as a bigger thing. Uh, the crowd, uh, but one thing that certainly makes it easier to play in a small market that is a fair distance away from uh, from the NHL club that you might be a part of. Absolutely. I mean, I think. You know, if that fan support wasn't there, that would be a tough situation. Uh, if you're a player, you're sent down and, you know, you're going three time zones and that's uh, that's a long plane ride uh, to go back to the minors. Um, you know, but at least when you know when you get there, you're going to play in a real, real enthusiastic environment. You're going to, you know, players always say they, they want to play where, you know, fans care. And, yeah. uh, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, I think across the league, uh, that's a lot better than it was, uh, you know, 10 years ago or so. I mean, there were some pretty weak markets back then and most of them, uh, you know, have passed on and now it's, uh, it's a pretty good, uh, you know, uh, environment. Most buildings you go into uh, across the league, uh, but uh, Utica really stands out. Uh, you know, it's loud in there. I mean, it's really loud. I mean, I covered the Winnipeg Jets for five years. It was a little bit of a similar situation at the NHL level. Just it's a smaller building for that, for that league. And it's, you know, real intimate uh, setting and, uh, you know, small market, but a real passionate crowd. And every night, you know, it felt like even a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night, it feels like a Saturday night with, with the Leafs in town, for example, right? Yeah. So it's just, uh, it's a great environment, uh, you know, and especially at the American League level where you don't always get that, you know, there are those, uh, you know, there's Wednesday night games in January where, you know, you can kind of feel the energy is not uh, where it needs to be uh, in some buildings, uh, but that's never the case in your career. Those uh, fans are they're hardcore yeah. all the way. You're listening to uh, Around the A with uh, David Foote and Patrick Williams. Again, uh, you can get us uh, online at sportspodcastingnetwork.com, uh, Apple Music, uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, this is episode three of our inaugural season, so uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, and if you do download the podcast, uh, be sure as well to uh, rate us as well. Uh, give us some feedback. You can interact with us uh, on social media at Around the A Pod or even shoot us an email at um, 
them around the a pod at gmail.com uh we'll get back to the north division specifically in a little bit uh we're going to catch up with the head coach of the binghamton devils mark dennehy uh, he and the devils were here in belleville a few weeks back for the senators home opener and i had a chance to chat with him pregame just about you know the the adjustment to coaching pro he was a uh, with uh, the ncaa for uh, what 15 20 years just about so we'll talk a little bit about that later on uh but let's go to uh, to the west we go from a 7 and 0 team in the east that maybe wasn't supposed to be 7 and 0 to an 0 and 6 team in the west that certainly by all accounts wasn't expected to be 0 and 6 and it's been a bit of a tough start to the campaign for the San Diego Gulls. Yeah, San Diego Gulls uh they were Western Conference finalists last season uh and they uh they went to they took uh, Chicago Wolves to game 6 and uh they were they were on they were on fire uh throughout the, the uh postseason. Uh, they knocked off uh, you know a good San Jose team and then they uh knocked off Bakersfield, which was the Pacific Division winner, and then uh they pushed uh, a really deep Chicago team uh you know to six games and I think had they gotten into the final they could have given uh, the Charlotte Checkers a real tough fight. Um and yet here they are, uh Owen Sitz to start the year and it just goes to show you that uh this league is uh, really unpredictable, and it's certainly not as if uh, they didn't have a good summer. I mean, they brought in Andrew Polarowski, uh in the offseason as a free agent. Uh, he was the AHL playoff MVP last season. Uh, you know, they, they did lose some talent, uh, but, uh, you know, everybody, that, that's a story for everybody in this league. Uh, but it's been, a, it's been an uphill battle. Um, goaltending struggled, uh, you know, Anthony Stolarz, who, you know, at this level, certainly, uh, an accomplished goalie and Kevin Boyle, same thing. Uh, their numbers have been, um, uh, have been off. Uh, you know, the team is, uh, struggling on special teams. Uh, I mean, you just go right down the list of the, uh, the issues for the team. And, uh, you know, they brought in Kevin Deneen as their head coach, uh, certainly an accomplished, uh, coach at this level. Yeah. He'd won coach of the year before. Uh, this is the second go around in the Anaheim system. Uh, he'd been in the NHL uh, before as a head coach with Florida. He'd been an assistant coach for the Chicago Blackhawks. And, uh, you know, it was certainly a hire that uh, whenever, when they made that, everybody was, uh, you know, kind of really, you know, uh, really uh, optimistic about it. And, and, you know, it had a, you know, a lot of good uh, feedback. But, uh, you know, I'm certainly not going to put that on him. But uh, it's been a, a real tough start for them, 0-6. And, and, and that Pacific Division, uh, you know, especially for Eastern fans that maybe aren't as familiar with it, every year that, that division is a grind. Uh, those teams uh, play a real heavy divisional schedule, as we all know. And uh, the rivalries there are, are really intense. So you don't want to fall behind, uh, you know, too early. Uh, you know, last year uh, – they had a similarly uh, difficult start, but not to this extent. And it took them going on a good midseason run uh, to really kind of get themselves even anyway back into playoff contention. So uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a, not a great situation. Uh, and uh, you certainly don't want your prospects, you, you know, in a, in a losing environment. I think that's maybe the biggest thing uh, from an NHL standpoint. Uh, you know, we've all seen uh, bad teams over the years where uh, – you can kind of just see those those young kids. They're 20, 21 years old, and they're just getting crushed every night. And, uh, you know, it's not good for their long-term development. So um, it's something they definitely have to turn around quick. Uh, but it's certainly not going to be easy. Uh, they play Colorado uh, back-to-back this weekend, and uh, that's going to be a tough, uh, tough fight. And, uh, you know, the schedule doesn't get easy in this league. Uh, you know, if anything, it's going to get harder now as, 
everybody starts to ramp up and get a little bit more uh, cohesive. So uh, better turn it around fast because, uh, you know, 10 goals in six games is not going to cut it. Let's uh, let's uh, put it that way. No, uh, it's it's certainly not. And they are, you know, pretty well alone as far as teams that are scoring that few. Um, you know, the next lowest scoring team uh, looks like Rockford at 12, but even they've managed to pull out two wins in their seven games. Yeah, and Rockford's uh, another one where, you know, they started, they've started the season 0 and 28, 0 for 28 on the power play. So they still haven't found a, a power play goal yet uh, here, uh, you know, seven games into the year. Uh, so uh, yeah, similar situation uh, for them in some regards. Where uh, you know they have seven or they have twelve goals in seven games, uh, so you know some teams are off to a great start. You know they're averaging five goals plus a game, like Utica and, and uh, you know Providence and teams like that. And then others are. It's been a fight, uh, you know, for some of these teams. And uh, you know, as we said, uh, you know, if uh, if these players when they're coming in. They're turning pro, some of them, for the first time. Uh, this is a rough introduction to how the pro game works. And, uh, you know, you really want to kind of get this, you know, squared away fast because uh, – and this is where I think a lot of teams lean really hard on their veteran guys, this point of the year especially, uh, to kind of pick up the slack even more, uh, you know, until the young kids can kind of uh, find their way and, and get their feet wet and get – get accustomed to the pro level because, you know, I mean, any of us who have been uh, at the junior level and then now the AHL level, you know, there's a huge difference uh, on and off the ice for these young kids. So, um, you know, the challenges start early uh, and uh, can get out of hand pretty fast uh, if you can't, uh, if you can't get a wrap on it uh, early on. Well, and I mean, you talk about veteran leadership, but let's stay on Rockford for a moment because um, I saw uh, one of their social media videos, a uh, ticket promotion they're doing uh, with their captain, Chris Versteeg. Uh, and you look at a guy like Chris Versteeg, and I mean, I tell you know some folks that he's playing in the AHL, and they say, why? Uh, they, you know, that's exactly the type of veteran guy that uh, that can make a massive difference in an American Hockey League lineup. Uh, I mean, we had the Laval Rocket in here last week, and Carl Alsner is playing there, making six mil a year to play in the American League. And, you know, some people would look at that and say, well, he's, uh, you know, he's probably not trying. He's probably not putting the effort in. Um, a, I've heard that he has. And B, just having a guy like that with so much experience can make a huge difference when you're trying to turn a club around. Yeah, I think uh, NHL teams over the years, you know, certainly since when I started, uh, you know, in the earlier part of the 2000s, uh, you did get some of those guys, especially after the salary cap came in and teams were, you know, sending some of these veteran NHL players down uh, to figure out the cap. And um, yeah, not all of them, let's say, uh, were necessarily dialed in uh, on any given night or perhaps any night at all. So yeah. Um, I think teams have learned the lesson the hard way that uh, you do have to bring in the right veterans. It's not simply a matter of bringing necessarily the best player or the best, uh, you know, guy with the best experience. Uh, you want to have guys who are older, who, who will buy into what you're trying to do in terms of the development. And, uh, you know, I, I think most of all, you don't want guys who are going to be a bad influence. Uh, that used to happen a lot more often where, uh, you know, the guys that were there to kind of lead by example were, uh, you know, <laughs> not leading by example. Yeah. Like miserable, miserable to be down there. Yeah. You had a lot of sour guys, a lot of guys, uh, you know, kind of 
in the ear of the younger guys, uh, you know, uh, griping about this or about that. And, uh, you know, you know, 21 year olds are impressionable, right? So um, the last thing you want is your, you know, uh, top prospect first round kid hearing, you know, uh, you know, a lot of uh, negative feedback and that kind of thing from your veteran guys. So most of those guys over the years, I think uh, they got pushed out and, uh, you know, you, you go across the league, you look at each team's veteran list, uh, you know, I don't see too many teams here with guys that, you know, I wouldn't be comfortable uh, having in my lineup, uh, both from a playing standpoint, but maybe even more so from uh, development. Because in a lot of ways, these guys are almost like uh, unofficial coaches. They uh, sure. do a lot of one-on-one work with players, and uh, they're kind of the sounding board. Uh, they're the guys that lead by example. All those little things uh, that, uh, you know – a young guy might not necessarily feel comfortable going to the coach uh, with a problem, uh, but, you know, a, a veteran guy can kind of be that go-between and, and smooth things over and, you know, just sort of uh, keep everything uh, on the same page because it's a long year. It's just six month season. There's a lot of bus rides. There's a lot of games. Frustrations can pile up. Uh, so the more guys that you can have, you know, like your Mike McKenna types or your Michael Layton types, to uh, kind of lead the way, uh, the better off you'll probably be. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Mike McKenna. That was kind of the the name that crossed my mind again, just in my you know few years of experience in this league of a guy who uh, played for what a dozen teams just about, and you know being a goaltender and not necessarily a starter is a difficult thing to deal with as it is. But he always seemed to come in and just you know help along whoever else was there and uh he, the definition of a team guy and that's what you need yeah mike Keane was another guy i remember uh with manitoba moose uh you know he was playing at 43 years old and he's still out there playing a three and three he's grinding he's riding the bus he's doing all those things and this was a guy who was a former captain of the montreal Canadiens, right like as big a profile as it gets uh you know in the nhl and uh you know he loved to play and uh, i think more importantly from my uh Manitoba Moose standpoint uh, and from a Vancouver Canucks standpoint uh, when they were affiliated um, they loved having a, a guy like that uh, you know to guide those young guys and uh, to show them the way and to uh, kind of shepherd them through those difficult times especially for you know first and second year players uh, so you know it makes it hard for, uh, for a 21 year old to complain about uh, his uh, you know his energy or his fatigue when there's a 43 year old uh, guy out there, uh, you know, playing a three and three uh, and a guy who's already done everything. He won a Stanley cup with the Montreal Canadians. I mean, does it get any bigger than that? Uh, And yet he's out there, you know, playing the penalty kill, you know, blocking shots, doing all those things that coaches love. Uh, So, I mean, it's just a great example uh, of what you want uh, your veterans to be like. He's probably the ideal uh, but uh, there are a lot of good guys around there now, uh, you know, around the league, uh, you know, you look at Matt Molson and Hershey, guys who've done a lot in their career uh, and could kind of just sit back now and count their money, and yet here they are, they're out there playing. Yeah, you uh, definitely need guys like that, and and names like that, I think, for fan uh, connection to teams, it, it makes a big difference as well. Again, when you can look at um, a lineup card and, and see guys like Versteeg or even a Matt Molson, who wasn't not a superstar in the National Hockey League, but had enough good years playing at least in, you know, most people would know him from Long Island, um, that, you know, you get names like that and it can, you know, draw some fans and put some butts in the seats. And that's 
that's never a bad thing. Uh, about uh, about 25 minutes into this third episode of Around the A uh, on the Sports Podcasting Network. Again, uh, Apple Music, Spotify, uh, we're at Google Play. Uh, if you uh, want to download and subscribe and uh, rate us, again, find us on social at Around the A Pod. And you can uh, find us at uh, email as well, uh, at Around the A, not at, but uh, Around the A Pod at gmail.com. Um, why don't we... Uh, switch gears and maybe get into our interview uh, with Mark Dennehy talking about development. Um, this is a guy who, as a coach, has developed you know a fair bit. Um, like I said, a dozen-plus seasons uh, in the NCAA, uh, most recently with Merrimack, where he was the head coach from uh, 05 until being uh, you know, getting the job in, in Binghamton in the 18-19 season. Uh, we'll talk to him a bit about that process because it was – a little bit of a wild summer for him. Uh, he was supposed to coach in the ECHL uh, and ends up in Binghamton in the AHL, and here he is in his second season behind the bench with the Devils. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, a guy who was you know, kind of a pitcher of stability in terms of his career, uh, 13 years in one spot, college game. He's hired. He makes that jump to the ECHL. Never actually ends up there. Uh, you know, he... He did the press conference and all that uh, and, you know, kind of uh, did the community relations thing. And then the New Jersey Devils two months later come calling and uh, offer him the job in Bainhamton. And uh, lo and behold, there he goes. Uh, and he kind of got a, a real uh, rough ride there the first year uh, for Bainhamton. Uh, team had a lot of issues in terms of uh, players coming and going. World tending got uh, really out of hand. Uh, a lot of the problems for New Jersey trickled down, as they often do at this level. And uh, he had a lot on his plate uh, as a rookie head coach. Uh, he came through it okay. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a real good interview. I found uh, talking into him. Uh, he's uh, He's got you know a lot of personality, a lot to say. Uh, and I think I think our listeners will enjoy hearing from him. So uh, let's hear from him. Mark Dennehy is the head coach of the Binghamton Devils uh, on Around the A. Your second season with Binghamton after uh, more than a decade in the NCAA uh, with Merrimack College. Um, first of all, what was the transition like uh, for you, and um, you know what type of adjustments had to be made during your first uh, full season in the American League? Well, it's a funny story, although it wasn't funny at the time. Um, after 13 years at Merrimack and about 25 years in NCAA college hockey, I got fired uh, from my job two, two, uh, a year ago in March. Um, Ended up getting hired by the Pittsburgh Penguins organization to coach their East Coast affiliate. Uh, Bill Guerin and I uh, played together in college, and um, he was nice enough, he and both uh, Mr. Rutherford, to hire me to coach Wheeling. Uh, about a month and a half into that, I got a phone call from Billy saying that the AHL job had opened up with the Devils and that Tom Fitzgerald and Ray Sharon wanted to talk to me about that. So uh, I'm undefeated in the East Coast Hockey League. Uh, <laughs> two months of working in, uh, in Wheeling for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I was hired by the Devils, and um, in terms of transition, you know what? Um, hockey's hockey, and that's one of the things. It probably took me a little longer to realize than than I would have liked. Um, the mistakes that are made, uh, you know, are, are similar at most every level. Skill level's a little bit different here. Uh, you're dealing with a couple older guys, but I, I have argued that if you take the veteran ages out of the mix, take all the vets, take their ages out of the mix, that the average age of an American Hockey League team probably isn't that far off from a, uh, an NCAA Division One hockey team. Yeah, well, I mean, even here in Belleville, our average age is about 23. So, And I think um, the highest I saw taking a look was 25 in the AHL. So obviously the players are getting getting younger. Um, given your experience in college hockey, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, 
the number of guys that are coming out of college, both in uh, the NCAA and, and here in U Sports in Canada as well, it seems to me like major junior is, is not the only route anymore. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think the numbers play out at a third, a third, a third right now. I think a third of the guys playing in the NHL are CHL players. A third uh, of the guys playing in the NHL are Europeans who came right over from Europe. Yeah. And uh, a third of the guys playing in the NHL came from Division One college hockey So, uh, or the CIA. So, no, hey, listen, uh, there's a number of different routes. Uh, they don't ask you how you got there. The, the objective is to get to the NHL. So I think it's, it's pretty neat that there are a number of ways to go. And, um, I mean, you mentioned hockey is hockey, so when you come up to the AHL as a coach, um, is it just instituting kind of the same game plan, same methods and things like that that you were used to over the college career? Well, I mean, there's only so many ways to play the game, you know. Um, I remember back when the New Jersey was winning a, a number of Stanley Cups, uh, they played a, a very defensive style and they would trap and it was, you know, this newfangled uh, invention and you've come to find out that the Montreal Canadiens played it in the, in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. So um, you put your own tweaks on it. Uh, for us, as with, I think, most AHL teams, they take on the characteristics of the big club, and so it's our job to get these guys ready. Um, and so that's a little bit of the difference. My, our number one job is to make sure that the assets in the American League, when they get called up, are ready to go and they understand how we want to play. Now, part of that is winning, too. You don't want to have a, a losing culture. So uh, uh, that part's a little different, but it goes hand in hand. Uh, it can be tough to find that balance sometimes, I think, between um, doing what the NHL club wants style-wise and then finding results if AHL teams aren't playing the same way. It can be, for sure. Uh, add to the fact that, uh, you know, I know uh, Belleville went through this last year, as did, did, uh, as did we in, in Binghamton. I think I coached 50 guys last year. I think we had eight goaltenders. And um, I'm lucky enough to work with two, two great hockey guys in, in uh, Sergey Breland. Uh, obviously, uh, goes without mentioning. And then Ryan Parent, who's a, gonna be a really good young coach. Um, and so I'd ask them as the season's going on, geez, you know, is this normal? I seem to be losing a lot of guys. And yeah, November was, yeah, this is normal. And December, yeah, this is normal. And, by about mid-January, they said, yeah, this isn't normal. This is pretty <laughs> abnormal. Um, between injuries, uh, trades we made at the trade deadline for, for picks, um, I think out of the 21 guys we had that could have played in the NHL last year, 17 of them played in the NHL. So we must be doing something right. Yeah. Uh, what are the goals for this year? Obviously, win is, is at the top of everybody's list, but um, do you break things down uh, for your team as far as achievable goals through a season? So we're just in that process now. You know, we've been at it probably a little over two and a half, three weeks. And as I get to, to, to know our team and figure out who our leadership group is, one of the things I like to do is to let the leaders help uh, work with us to come up with what are our goals. And, and we'll break the season down into segments. And like you said, yeah, the objective is to win. Uh, the first thing you win is a, an opportunity to play in the playoffs. So that's got to be your first goal. And Whatever those building blocks are, it'll lead towards uh, the playoffs, hopefully. Well, we appreciate you taking the time for us, Coach. Uh, good luck this weekend and the rest of the way. I'm sure we'll see you again as the, the season moves on. Thanks, David. That's Binghamton Devils head coach Mark Dennehy on Around the A. Uh, David Foote and Patrick Williams with you for Episode 3. Uh, once more, I'll remind you, and then probably again uh, throughout the show, uh, at Around the A pod on social media. Uh, get us uh, at the sportspodcastingnetwork.com. 
Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, same old places. And again, if you are listening to us on those platforms, uh, give us a rate and uh, give us some feedback as well because, again, work in progress, as we've been saying throughout the course uh, of our first few episodes. Um, good chat with Mark, uh, a little bit about development and, uh, and adjusting into uh, new roles and uh, new scenarios and making the jump to pro hockey, which, as we talked a little bit about before the interview, Pat, uh, can be a difficult thing for some young guys. It certainly can. Uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of players, especially – your, your top, uh, let's say your top three round type guys uh, who really have real pretty solid NHL aspirations. Uh, they're either coming out of junior, they're coming out of college or even coming over from Europe. And uh, uh, the NHL, it's like kind of NHL or bust for them. And uh, they're American League. I think a lot of them, uh, they, they tend to overlook this league uh, and they tend to think, well, you know, uh, this is just, you know, a glorified junior league and, and, you know, I'll come in here and dominate. And then, and then they don't. And uh, a lot of them uh, um, kind of get a rude awakening uh, to what the pro game is all about. Uh, you're no longer playing against uh, kind of your fellow, uh, you know, teenagers. Now you're playing against uh, 25, 30 year old guys, guys who've been in the NHL, who've played up there, uh, guys who are playing for money and contracts. Uh, so, uh, and that's to say nothing of all the off ice uh, adjustments, I think for a lot of players, I think uh, that's something that uh, probably is a little bit overlooked, um, you know, uh, you know, by kind of the, the mainstream, but uh, a lot of these guys, you know, are 20 years old and they're, especially some of them uh, where English maybe isn't their first language and they're living on their own or they're living with a roommate and they're trying to handle all the off ice, uh, you know, uh, lifestyle adjustments that uh, everybody else has to do at that age. And uh, they're also trying to, you know, make the NHL. Yeah. So it's uh, it's a little bit of a challenge for some of them. Um, it's something I've noticed, uh, a lot of NHL uh, teams now devoting a lot more in terms of both resources uh, and financially, as well as just, uh, you know, guidance, training, nutrition, uh, psychology, all those elements of the game uh, on and off the ice. Uh, I think they're putting a lot uh, more into that uh, because I can tell you when I started, you know, there were some horror stories uh, about uh, guys who didn't understand how credit cards worked and uh, guys who, Got all sorts of, uh, you know, financial uh, difficulties and, uh, you know, all those distractions, you know, I mean, you want your players to be able to focus on the ice, but if, uh, if they're off ice uh, lifestyle or, uh, or, you know, their, you know, just their issues are, are, are distracting them uh, that can uh, throw the whole on ice side of the game uh, into disarray. So the more you can kind of get things squared away off the ice, uh, the better off, uh, your players will be in terms of their uh, hockey development. Yeah, and and I mean we're seeing that uh, at least here in Belleville, where we've got a pile of young guys uh, who are I, I'm not going to say struggling to make the adjustment because the whole team seems to be struggling of late. But um, there there's there's so much more uh, education I think that that needs to be done out like you say outside of hockey. I mean guys come here and they uh, they know how to play hockey, but it's you know how do you uh, how do you handle yourself on your own? Um, and I guess, like, I guess for guys who who you know played major junior uh, or were in college, like for the most part, they've probably been on their own for a little while. But uh, you're still with you know if you're in the, the CHL, you're typically with a billet family. Still, you're not cooking for yourself. Like I've some young guys I've spoken to have said that's one of the biggest things that. Uh, 
that they have to adjust to is, yeah, I got to cook my own meals. I got to make sure that uh, I'm eating healthy and eating right. And uh, it, it can be difficult. Yeah. And I noticed some teams just, uh, they try to kind of work around that all together. Uh, and uh, they feed the players uh, at the rink. Um, I know the Toronto Marlies are kind of known for their um, pretty extensive uh, uh, catering program that they have for their players in terms of breakfast, lunch, uh, and they can bring home uh, food for uh, for supper. So um, all those things, make sure that they're eating properly, make sure they're not, uh, you know, stopping uh, and getting burgers and fries every night and, uh, you know, not doing uh, what they need to do on that end. And, and just uh, – yeah, I mean, I've known players where, you know, like they don't know how to cook and then they give themselves food poisoning. And, you know, it's just little things like that. All the little silly things that, you know, probably go completely under the radar are just uh, there's things that people have to think about. And, you know, it, there's been a lot of trial and error over the years, uh, you know, and uh, there's been uh, there's been some uh, unique situations, let's say. But uh, I think teams now um, are a lot better well-versed in that. And I think a lot of that now is a lot of the, uh, the people now in management coaching are guys that were playing in the nineties and the two thousands when, uh, it kind of, you know, if you talk to them, it went from, uh, you know, hockey was a little bit more loose back then. And, and then it turned into a business somewhere around the, that time. And, uh, you know, all the states were raised higher. The money got bigger. There's a lot more, uh, um, coming at people and now especially these days with social media and and all those kind of distract uh you know there's opportunities uh if a player's not uh not uh using his head for him to get uh, off track so um you know and and i think really the interesting part about the american league is you have to think about where you are in terms of uh, your cities uh you have a huge mix of cities in this league uh, everywhere from toronto and chicago uh, to small markets like Utica and a lot of t- places in between. So there's different challenges that come with that. Uh, there's time management. Uh, there's making sure your players uh, know, you know, if you're playing in Toronto, hey, I better leave a little bit earlier because the traffic there is uh, different than when I played in ju- junior. So little little things like that, uh, you know, all the things that, uh, you know, getting a, a player from a teenager into an adult and, uh, you know, living that lifestyle the proper way, uh, because, you know, if they plan to play in the NHL, uh, there's no time to learn once they're in the NHL, like it's go time once they're up there. So, um, that's, uh, kind of the tough love, uh, sometimes that you have down here. Uh, and that's why you have guys like Troy Mann. I mean, I mean, Troy and, and I mean, pretty much every coach around the league, uh, is a uh, real stickler for a lot of the details and they can be hard on players in that regard, but uh, you know, they're doing it for the players own good. So uh, it's a, uh, it's uh it's a development curve. I think is fair to say uh, on, but maybe even more so off the ice for young players. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, you, you mentioned about the transition, you know, guys who are coaching now were playing in the nineties uh, for those in Canada I think it's only in Canada. There's a, a uh, insurance company here that was running a series of TV commercials, and they had uh, Jonathan Drouin and Johnny Goudreau and William Nylander, and then uh, Doug Gilmore and a couple other legends. And G- Gilmore and the guys are sitting there, you know, eating huge uh, plates of pasta, and and the young guys on the other side are drinking smoothies, and they're you know they're uh, they're going at each other about that. Um, the game's changed. It's funny to talk to coaches. Uh, that whole, the whole fitness kind of craze and, and the nutrition craze kind of hit about 
20 years ago or so is kind of when it really started to take off. And uh, there were a lot of a lot of players uh, there who were caught off guard. Uh, they were kind of used to that that burger and fry lifestyle, and then and you know smoking between periods and things like that. Uh, and all of a sudden, now you have guys uh, drinking smoothies, and it's only gotten more so. Uh, I mean, now I mean, there's you don't even have an option. I mean, it's not a matter if you will work out; it's simply a matter of how much. And you know, you're going up against these. Guys like Steve Stamkos, who are you know weighing you know every little morsel of food in their diet, and they're uh, you know players are a lot more serious. I think they're a lot better educated too. I think uh, you know if you talk to players that were in the '90s and 2000s, they didn't have a lot of the knowledge uh, and the information. Uh, and I think a lot of that is is nowadays it's just easier to access. Uh, nowadays, if you're a young player, uh, a lot of places to turn to and you can also just go online and you can get information there. Uh, players didn't have that information back then. Uh, they were kind of on their own, uh, kind of left to their own devices and uh, it always it didn't always work out. Well, uh, there were a lot of uh, situations where, uh, you know, hydration kind of meant everybody going to the bar after practice and hanging right. out there and, you know, drinking beers and, uh, you know, uh, you know, eating fries. So it's a, it's a whole different world now. Uh, it's kind of funny to hear some of these coaches, uh, you know, nowadays who came up as players uh, 20 years ago. And uh, they almost kind of joke in a way that, you know, I'd almost like to see my players loosen up a little bit sometimes. You know, they, they take everything so seriously. Uh, I think players are very, very driven these days. I think that's one of the biggest uh, changes I've seen even in the last 10 years, let's say. It's just, uh, you know, there's big money at stake now, even in the American Hockey League. Uh, you know, you can uh, you play your cards right and you do well in the American League uh, and you hit 24, 25 years old. You can be pulling down three fifty, four hundred thousand dollars a year. So uh, there's a real incentive uh, to uh, to play as long as you can and to play as well as you can, because uh, there's money to be made for sure. Uh, even going further back than that, when I was living in Peterborough, uh, working with the pizza a few years back, a letter got uh, circulated around. You can find it online. But it's a um, it's a letter from Punch Imlac to players uh, in 1962 reporting to Maple Leafs training camp, and it talks about golf being a must in the training camp schedule, uh, and it says, uh, "I expect you to report in good condition and not more than seven pounds over your playing weight, uh, and at minimum you had to be able to do 20 push-ups, 20 sit-ups, and 30 knee bends." Uh, I think most players would scoff at uh, at those requirements now. Yeah, now. can you imagine uh, that these days uh, a player, uh, you know, hey, coach, I only showed up seven pounds overweight. What, what do you want from me, right? Uh, you know, now that would be, that would be, I mean, uh, that would be a fiasco. And, uh, you know, I mean, especially if you're a player in the American League, I mean, you don't have that kind of uh, that stature to be able to kind of get away with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you better you better show up not only in shape, you better show up. If, if you're showing up seven pounds heavy, it better be all muscle and you better still be able to move with it, right? Like, Yeah, that's it. and there's nowhere to hide now. I mean, they have all these little gadgets and devices that can, uh, you know, they can measure everything down to the, uh, you know, the smallest amount. So <laughs> there's no, uh, there's no faking uh, your results or uh, any of the little games that uh, sometimes you'd uh, be able to play or, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, guys, uh, you know, monkeying with the, uh, you know, the weights on the uh, machine. Now it's everything is very high tech and, uh, you know, 
the numbers don't lie. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of players, uh, when you talk to them, uh, that first day of fitness training and, or, or, or tests, uh, at training camp is, uh, always a little scary for, for them, especially, uh, maybe even more so if they, if they put in the work, because, uh, those are the guys that are really serious about it. Uh, uh, and then the other guys that maybe, uh, you know, slacked off a little bit in the summer, uh, that's kind of when, uh, you know, the bills come due and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a tough day for, for some players that, uh, didn't quite uh, pay attention to their off-season memo, let's say. Yeah, well, uh, by this point in the season, again, uh, six to ten games in, most guys are hopefully back in game shape. Uh, teams across the league are trying to, you know, figure things out, iron out the early season wrinkles, uh, much like we're doing here on episode three of Around the A. Uh, let's look ahead to uh, to next week uh, as we get close to time here. Uh, we've got a few guests lined up uh, in the Western Conference. Not sure exactly who we're talking to yet, or do we know for next week? Oh, yeah, we do. Uh, I'm pretty excited. Uh, three guests, and we're trying to get a little bit more of a Western feel here. Uh, um, first off, uh, Jacob Stoller, uh, Manitoba Moose, uh, uh, one of my favorite writers to follow, uh, you know, around the league. Uh, he was with the Marlies uh, the past couple of years, uh, covering them and uh, covering them. Uh, real insightful young writer, always has, I think, an interesting perspective on things. And and uh, I found him to be, and I always, I always like to read uh, people like this. They have a good sense of, you know, the modern day game and the analytics and all that. Uh, but, you know, with kind of that uh, foundation of, the traditional hockey. So you get a good mix of that. Uh, next up, uh, San Jose Barracuda, Shang Peng. Uh, you know, he actually uh, is in the American League now. He uh, had covered the Vegas Golden Knights in their first season uh, two years back. Uh, now he's in San Jose, he splits his time between the Barracuda and the Sharks. Uh, San Jose Barracuda, kind of a under-the-radar team in the sense uh, every year they seem to produce young players uh, that eventually – are able to come up to the Sharks and uh, help out in supporting roles. Um, San Jose, uh, the NHL club that is, uh, has been so good for so long, they don't necessarily need their prospects to come up and be impact players. Uh, their core has been together for so long, but they always need that supporting cast, and I think the American League is uh, really good for that. And uh, they have the longest tenure coach in the league, Roy Sommer, uh, starting his 22nd year in the league. Uh, so a real interesting guy as well. So we have a lot to talk about uh, with San Jose. And last, uh, not least, Steve Mizerv, Texas Stars. Uh, I got to know him uh, really well, uh, you know, a few years back. And then uh, especially so two years ago uh, on their run to the Calder Cup final uh, in 2018 against the Marlies. Uh, and uh, he has great barbecue recommendations in, in Texas. Excellent. And he's also uh, a real insightful guy uh, as far as the Texas Stars uh, who've who've been a real model franchise ever since they came to the league back in 2009. So, uh, you know, three guys um, with three different interesting teams uh, and guys that always, uh, I find, uh, have a lot of interesting uh, perspectives on things. I think it's uh, I think it's good to be able to know uh, and, and really keep tabs on the Western Conference, uh, you know, for our Eastern fans and vice versa, because this league is almost two leagues in one in a lot of ways. Uh, you don't really get uh, a lot of that crossover. Uh, you know, there are a few teams that try to schedule games with the other conference, but for the most part, uh, you know, if you're in the East, uh, you, you follow the East and vice versa. So uh, I think it'll be really interesting for our listeners to uh, be able to hear uh, some of those fans uh, or some of those uh, perspectives from the other side of the league. And it just, uh, get a sense of how the league operates out there because the schedule's a 
a little bit different out there. The travel is certainly different out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, the style can be different as well. So I think uh, all three will give us a real good uh, sense of uh, how that all plays out. And again, if you have questions uh, for those guests, uh, things you want us to touch on or address, or even ideas for guests down the road, uh, we'd love to hear from you around the apod at gmail.com or on all the social media platforms at around the apod. And we will try to get to as many uh, of those uh, as we can. Uh, that'll do it for uh, another episode of Around the A here on the Sports Podcasting Network and wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're looking for it, you might want to search the full title uh, Around the A with David Foote and Patrick Williams. Might make it a little bit easier to uh, to pull up. And again, subscribe, rate, uh, do all that fun stuff so uh, we can get some feedback and uh, continue to grow the show because, uh, again, we're uh, starting from the ground up and uh, just three episodes in. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, as, uh, we're fighting our way through uh, and uh, everything that comes with that. Uh, and, you know, uh, this is a big league to kind of get your arms around. It's 31 teams, soon to be 32 next uh, couple years with Palm Springs, which I think we're both excited about uh, <laughs> for many reasons. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not the uh, it's not the old time, I think, minor league hockey that maybe fans think of when you know they they think of slap shot or something like that uh you know this is high level um high intensity uh you know there's scouts there's coaches uh there's general managers there every night uh pretty much any rink you go into so uh there's a lot to there's a lot to get your arms around in this league uh and uh, it's a good thing we have eight or nine months uh in this season to uh, try to hit on everything because uh we have our hands full for sure yeah, we're doing our best for sure. And uh, again, would uh, would encourage anybody who lives near an AHL market to get out, uh, check out a game, uh, pick a team, start rooting for someone. And um, yeah, it's it's a big league, so there's a lot of chances to uh, to get out and see some action. Uh, that'll do it for us. Uh, we'll talk to you next week on Around the A. Hope you'll join us then. For listening to Around the A. Be sure to tune in again next week. Find Around the A on the Sports Podcasting Network, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Interact with us on social media. Give us your thoughts using the hashtag Around the A and follow us at Around the A Pod.